Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. If you're a politics junkie, you need to be listening to the Election Ride Home podcast. Every day at 5 p.m., former This American Life contributor Chris Higgins reports from the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction and what do the polls say? Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, there is a way out of the dark. Call 1-800-273-8255. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you've found help. 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Weekend Archives of Weird Darkness. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. The idea that there are similar or nearly identical realities that exist on a different level than ours has thrived in concept as far back as there is history. Olympus, Asgard, Magmel, Anwen, Ramapura. These places of legend go by many names in many cultures, but they are the same in the fact that they are like our world, but they are not our world. Science has long embraced the idea of multiple universes including the infinite universe theory in which the universe is so big it can't help but repeat itself, and the parallel universe theory in which multiple universes are formed like a layer cake, each section not interacting with the others unless something happens and bits of the layers touch. The late great paranormal researcher John Keel, best known for his 1975 book The Mothman Prophecies, wrote in his 1970 book Strange Creatures from Time and Space that he believed there were window areas in which the veil between universes was thin and sometimes, just sometimes, people go through. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, Weirdos! This is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, 
and unexplained. If you have a dark tale to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss future uploads. And if you're already a fan of the show, please share it with others to help bring them into the Weird Darkness as well. It's also extremely beneficial and appreciated if you leave a quick review about Weird Darkness in Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen. You'll also want to sign up for my newsletter. It's where I'll be holding contests, giveaways, and more. It's called the Marler Sheet, and you can sign up for it at WeirdDarkness.com or look for the Marler Sheet link in the show notes. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… Weird Darkness fan Kayla Moore sends an original story of her own creation that she calls The Han House. And do parallel dimensions really exist? If they do, is it possible to travel between them? Two people have stories that might have you believing that you can, and we begin there first. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. Parallel universes, dimensions that nearly resemble our own, were once pondered by Plato and proposed mathematically by Princeton University graduate student Hugh Everett III in 1954. These parallel worlds, common in myth, have been staples in science fiction since Edwin A. Abbott's 1884 novel Flatland, a romance of many dimensions. More modern science fiction, like the dimension-jumping television program Sliders and Philip K. Dick's novel The Man in High Castle, in which the Axis won World War II, gives us exciting glances at worlds like, yet unlike, our own. Exciting, unless you stumble upon one of these alternative dimensions yourself, as Carol Chase McElhaney did in early March 2006. Rain pounded McElhaney's car as she drove through San Bernardino, California to spend a few days at a sheepdog trial in Paris, California. As she topped a hill south of the city, she saw a road sign for nearby Riverside. Her family roots were put down in Riverside in the early 1800s and she wanted to visit familiar places such as her old house and the cemetery where her grandparents were buried. "'I've been going to Riverside since I was a baby,' McElhaney said. I'm real familiar with the city. I know my way around. I knew where my grandmother lived. I've been to the cemetery. I knew where I was going." As McElhaney thought of visiting her grandparents' graves, a chill ran through her. Just as I decided to visit the cemetery, a huge blast of cigar scent entered my car, she said. It was pouring rain out, and I had my windows rolled up. My grandpa smoked cigars, and he died when I was five and that's all I remember about him." Just as quickly as the smell floated through the car, it was gone. She drove past Riverside and on to Paris, where she checked into a hotel and attended the dog show. The next day, McElhaney attended the first sheepdog trial, then drove to Riverside. She did not like what she saw. I could not find anything familiar 
McElhaney said. I used to live there after college. Her street wasn't the same. It was just wrong. The bungalows with small yards looked the same age as her old house, and the numbers were right, but her house wasn't there. I could not find my old place, she said. I thought they couldn't have torn down the house and built another house in that 1920s style to fit into the architecture. None of the houses looked familiar. They all looked different. Then she drove to the street where her grandmother once lived, stopped the car, and looked around in amazement. It was totally different, she said. None of the houses were anything like I remembered. No tall trees. Her house wasn't there. The numbers were in the same range, but the houses were all new. Grandma's house and my aunt and uncle's house next door were gone, she said. All the homes on what should have been her grandmother's street were modern ranch-style houses lined by bushes, nothing like her grandmother's big two-door home with towering eucalyptus trees in the yard. It was just gone. So was the cemetery. The cemetery where my grandparents were buried was just not there, McElhaney said. I drove around the block where it was supposed to be, and it was just fenced off with weeds inside. No gate, driveway, or anything. Confused, McElhaney pulled away from the empty lot to see if she could find anything familiar. She did. She recognized Riverside City College and Central Middle School. Some of the other stuff was right. The college looked right, the middle school looked right, she said. But when she pulled onto University Avenue, things were markedly different. University Avenue was a main drag and there were scary-looking people, so I got out of there, she said. I looked for the Mission Inn and it wasn't there. University Avenue, once home to restaurants, insurance companies, banks, and motels, was now completely ghetto, McElhaney said. It was all graffitied up and deserted, to the point she was afraid to stop and ask for directions. It was on University Avenue she realized something otherworldly was happening to her. The thing that occurred to me is if I got out of my car and something weird would happen, McElhaney said, I thought if I talked to someone, I'd be forever caught in this weird version of the other Riverside or that they weren't going to be human. The more places I tried to recognize, nothing matched up, nothing looked familiar. After a couple of agonizingly frustrating hours, McElhaney turned the car around and went back to Paris. Everything was normal, she said. I was afraid I'd go back and the hotel wouldn't be there or my key wouldn't fit. Everything was as it should be. A few years later, McElhaney's father died and was to be buried in the same cemetery as her grandparents, the cemetery she saw as an empty, fenced-off, weedy lot. It was back to what I remembered, she said. He was buried next to my grandparents. The rest of the city looked like it did when I lived there after college in the 70s. My cousin was there, and she said her house and my grandma's house are still there. University Avenue was normal-looking, and the Mission Inn was there. We had lunch there. I felt comfortable. I didn't go back to the other areas to check them, but I knew they would be okay. What happened to Carol Chase McElhaney? She's convinced she slid into another dimension, one that was less than friendly. I just got the feeling if I got out of the car and talked to someone, I was going to fall off the edge of the earth, I'd end up being missing, she said. It must have been a dimensional thing.
It looked like it was 2006, but I had taken a different path. It looked like Riverside had just taken a different direction. Paul Colizo is convinced that in 1995, he traveled to a different dimension as well. Colizo lived in Rhode Island and had been to Newport many times. The city that was home to America's Cup yacht race for more than 50 years was only a 45-minute drive away, after all. He'd been there so often he considered himself a regular. One of his favorite places to eat was the Newport Creamery that served everything from buttermilk pancakes to burgers to clam rolls to the awful, awful and an ice cream cocktail of vanilla, chocolate, coffee, strawberry, mint, cotton candy, orange, bubblegum, chocolate mint, and mocha. You drink three, you get the fourth free. But on a day in 1995, he and his friend Kenny drove to this town of roughly 25,000 people for Kenny's dental appointment, and his world changed. After Kenny's appointment, they went out for lunch in this town that he knew so well and found something unexpected. I parked my car in a familiar spot and we walked down the famous America's Cup Avenue to Thames Street, Galizo said. They walked past a Shell service station that he was familiar with, but Kalizo was surprised to see a wall slant downward and opened into a street that had escaped him during previous visits. I could see the ocean and all the sailboats in it, he said. I saw these little wooden stands selling souvenirs. We walked into a business district I'd never seen before, loaded with shoppers. Very busy, a two-way street. I can still see the bus stopping. There were several restaurants in this newly found area, but one caught Kalizo's eye. Newport Creamery. He didn't know there was another location in town. I said to myself, I've never seen this one before, he said. I was also ashamed to say this to my friend because I didn't want to look like an idiot. Kalizo paid for his lunch with cash, then sat and looked out the window to take in the area as he ate a cheeseburger combo and a Coke. I had a view of the ocean, watching people play frisbee and walk their dogs, he said. It was so amazing I could not wait to tell my wife. Everything else was normal. The restaurant looked like the other location. The food was the same. The people outside were dressed normally, and the cars along the street were as they should be. Excited for the new find, Kalizo picked up his wife from work that night. I told her, wait until you see where I'm taking you Saturday night. Three days later, Kalizo and his wife went to Newport, turned down America's Cup Avenue to Thames Street, and took a right at the Shell Station, just as he'd done with Kenny. But there was no wall that opened to a previously unknown street. I did not see the ocean, just a ball field and an apartment building, so I drove around for a half hour and gave up. He tried to take his wife to the new Newport Creamery twice more that summer, then again in 1997, 1998, and 1999. In 1999, I walked every street side and rode off America's Cup Avenue and Thames Street, about three hours. I found nothing, he said. Calizo kept trying because he knew what he had experienced. That street, that shopping area, and that restaurant were real. He bought his first computer in the year 2000 and did a web search for Newport Creamery restaurants in Newport, Rhode Island. There were two listed, the one he'd been to previously and one on Bellevue Avenue. I said to myself, there's the answer, it's the one on Bellevue Avenue, Calizo said. 
That conclusion was satisfactory for me for the years following. It wasn't until he found Google Street View that the specter of the missing restaurant appeared again. He looked up the Newport Creamery on Bellevue Avenue. It wasn't the restaurant he'd been to in 1995. There was no ocean view, no shopping district, nothing familiar. He thought maybe Google Street View hadn't picked up the right angles. Calizo went to the Bellevue Avenue Newport Creamery in 2012 and discovered Google had been correct. This was not the right restaurant. He finally spoke with Kenny about it. He said to me he was also ashamed to say that area was unfamiliar to him as well, that there was something strange about that day. Calizo's curiosity exploded in 2016. He began to ask business people in Newport about the 1995 location, but no one knew what he was talking about. He talked with the Newport City clerk, who said that there had never been more than two Newport Creamery restaurants in town and they'd never moved from another location. I told a co-worker of mine this story. He worked with engineering maps and he said to me that he was familiar with Newport. I described my situation the best I could, the wall, the water, he said. I think I know where you're talking about, Calizo said. He pulled it right up on the maps and I can see the satellite view. I said, oh my god, that's it. Calizo had found the area he'd once visited and eaten a cheeseburger combo and a Coke. But there was no business district, no wooden stands selling souvenirs, and no restaurants, especially not the one he remembers. There's room there for it, about a hundred yards of grass in front of some elevated houses. He went to Newport a week later, located the slanted path, and saw where he and Kenny had walked toward the ocean, but it was hidden on the opposite side of the street. He walked toward the ocean and stood on the ground where the restaurant had been, a place where no restaurant had ever been. It appears we entered a vortex and we slung shot around the other side of the avenue where the wall and ocean were on the left, Calizo said. The district we walked into was in another version of Newport, Rhode Island. I've investigated this for 21 years. The story is true. What happened to me? How did this happen? Maybe before 1995, that was my reality, and I went through a vortex going back and I'm in the other one now and never made it back. This weekend archive of Weird Darkness returns in just a moment. I've told people numerous times in the past that if I ever own my own business and I have employees that I have to take care of, one of the job training requirements is having them listen to or read the book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It has been extremely beneficial to me through the years. I've listened to the audiobook numerous times. I've got the print book as well on my bookshelves, but it is a pretty long book. However, right now you can listen to the entire Blinkist version and it'll only take you 15 minutes. And you can listen to it absolutely free with a seven-day trial 
to Blinkist. I love Blinkist. I use it every single day, and it's made for busy people like me and you who want to get the main points out of books quickly without having to read the entire book because, let's face it, we just don't have the time. Well, with an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy you could finish four books a day just while on your commute back and forth to work. And now they have a special deal just for Weird Darkness listeners. You can have a seven-day free trial so you can get all the books, including Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And after that seven days is up, you can still get Blinkist for 25% off if you want to continue as a subscriber. If not, you can still keep the free version of Blinkist and get a new book every single day anyway. Check it out. Go to Blinkist.com slash Weird Darkness. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Weird Darkness. September 14, 2015 The Han House stood quietly in the shadows of two willow trees. Rotten boards on the windows that were halfway fallen apart, a front porch that had caved in completely, and three bold windows on the upstairs floor that stood out like eyes staring you down in the night. Built in 1875, the Han's house had quite a history. From old murders to present satanic rituals, everyone who walked by felt uneasy. I was a skeptic. Non-religious and non-believing in ghosts. That would all change soon. It was my senior year of high school. I was exactly 39 days away from graduating. From there, I would be on my way to college in North Carolina. I had two friends that I could trust with my life and maybe more, Alex and Lena. Alex had graduated two years ago, but we'd always remained close to each other. Lena was a senior who was graduating along with me. Lena and I had different college plans, but we were hopeful to take the same friendship road that Alex and I had taken. After all, we had been friends for most of our lives. I'm going to do my best to recall every detail of this story, even though I've always wanted to forget it. It's one of those life experiences that you can never forget, no matter how hard you try. September 21, 2015 Alex, Lena, and I were all sitting on the floor of Alex's small apartment around a glass coffee table while Alex was rolling us a blunt. We had just finished a conversation about a story Alex's mom told him when he was little. It was a story about how, when she was a little girl, her and her older sister had a paranormal experience with a lady in blue. Keep in mind, I was a skeptic. I didn't think that any of it was real. I took it as a load of crap. As Alex flicked his white lighter to light our blunt, I asked him, what do you think about the Hans house? He looked up at me and Lena. The house on Old Hatcher Road? Yeah, the old house that's supposed to be the gateway to hell or something stupid like that. I took a long inhale and passed it Lena's way. I could feel the skeptic in me come out. There's no way a house could be a gateway to hell or even be haunted for that matter. It's just a tale that everyone around town knows about and tells to keep vandals out, I said, while I rolled my eyes and laughed. I drive past it a lot while going to work. I always feel nervous just driving by it. I've heard some really screwed up stories about that place, said Alex. Lena looks up from her phone and chimes into the conversation. What stories have you heard? 
My mom always told me that about 50 years ago, there was a man living there with his wife. He came home one day and found her hanging from the second-story staircase, but that's not the story that scares me the most. Well, what's the story that scares you the most? I said. The actual Hans story is what I don't get. How could he have done that to his family? He apparently cut off their heads and buried them under the staircase after he'd burned their bodies. I looked up at Alex and started laughing. I guess the guy had a vision into the future about the Amityville story but added a twist to it. Alex reached into his back pocket and pulled out his wallet. Since you're so skeptical about the stories and hauntings, I have $75 on the fact there's no way we all couldn't walk out of that place the way we walked in. Alex placed $75 on the table in front of us. Lena looked at us both, a little nervous. I'm not stepping a foot in that damn place, she said. I picked up the money and started to fan it around. Friday night, we're all going. There's nothing we should be scared of. The rest of the day, we talked about all the stories we had heard about the Hans house and shared our partial excitement to venture into the inside for the first time. Around 7 that night, we went our separate ways to our homes to have dinner and sleep before our adventure began. September 22, 2015 I met up with Lena and Alex around 5.30 that afternoon at Alex's place. Upon arriving, Lena and Alex were outside waiting on me. I could see that Lena had a nervous look on her face. Lena was raised a Christian and to believe in spirits. She had never done anything like this. I put my car in park in the driveway and rolled down my window. Are we ready for this? Lena took the passenger seat in the front and Alex took the back seat. You seem scared, Lena, I said as I smiled at her. I just don't really think this is a good idea, especially how Alex wants to do this. I looked in my rearview mirror at Alex. What do you mean? I went out last night and bought a Ouija board. I wanted to do this right. I laughed. A freaking Ouija board? That's the dumbest thing you've ever bought besides that hoverboard you broke your leg on. We all began to laugh and the tension began to ease a little. The sun had set and the darkened night sky had a million stars to look at. The road to the Han house was desolate. No streetlights, no cars, no one and nothing, just a road with a night sky. I began to ease my way into the driveway of the Han house. The wood on the house was slowly rotting away, giving it an even more terrifying appearance. It stood still in the dark of the night. I put my car in park in the driveway and took a breath. Alex was the first one to step out of the car. Look at the front door, he said. Lena and I glanced up at the door. The words hell and Satan were painted in red spray paint across the door. Lena and I stepped out of the car and began to walk up to the house. The front door isn't an entry option, I said after looking at the caved-in front porch. Alex made the follow-me hand gesture. We followed Alex around the house to the back. I could hear Lena breathing heavily as she was looking at all of the decay of the house. The back had a door that was halfway off the hinges. Alex pushed the door open and entered the house. I was next to enter. Lena stood outside for a moment, deciding whether or not she really wanted to step inside. Come on, Lena, don't let the ghosts of the Han family get you. Lena stepped in the house, finally. 
We were all standing in an empty room that we assumed might have been the kitchen at one time. The walls had halfway torn down flower wallpaper. The floor was nothing but wooden boards that seemed to be missing a few pieces. We walked a little further into another room that looked as if it could have been the parlor. I looked around me completely stunned at how beautiful the place must have once been. The grand staircase was to the right of me. The ceilings were high and crafted. Chandeliers hung from the high ceilings along with cobwebs. Alex set his backpack on the floor and pulled out three flashlights. He handed us each one. Alex turned his flashlight on and flashed the light around us. The far left wall had words written in red paint. We walked over closer to take a look at the words. This is what hell is. This is hell. Hell. Let me out, read Alex aloud. Alex shined his flashlight on another writing. I am no longer a human but an animal in a human shell. Alex turned around to us and said, All right, children, now that we've learned to read, let's learn to spell. I laughed a little as Alex pulled the Ouija board out of his backpack and sat it on the floor. Are we ready to begin? We all took a seat on the floor in a small circle. I think we all know the rules of how to play, right? asked Alex. Don't break the circle, and when we're done, we have to say goodbye. We joined hands and placed the planchette on the board. We looked at each other, trying to decide who was going to ask the first question. I decided to take the leap. We placed our hands on the planchette as I asked the first question. Is there anyone here with us right now? We waited for the thrill of the planchette moving, but there was nothing. Everything was still and silent. I attempted to ask again, is there anyone here with us right now? Again, it was still and quiet. Is there anyone here? Make yourself known, said Alex. Nothing but silence. I looked at Alex and smiled. I told you there's nothing special about this place. Alex asked another question. Is there anyone in here with us? This is stupid. I don't think we should do this, said Lena in a shaky voice. Looks like Lena won't be getting $75. All right, we'll go. Obviously, this isn't going to work, Alex said. Goodbye, sweet spirits. We stood up and Alex started packing things into his backpack. I flashed my light around a little more before we departed. Alex led the way back into what we assumed was the kitchen. He stopped dead in his tracks. What the? Isn't this the way we came in? I looked around the room and took note of the similar sights I'd seen when we came into the house. There's not a door here. I know we came through a door when we entered this house. I shined my light all around the room, searching for the door. There really wasn't a door anywhere. Alex, are you sure we came in this way? We walked right in and went straight to the next room. Alex began pacing around the room, feeling the walls. Lena's breathing had increased and I started to panic a little. I walked back into the parlor where the front door was. I yelled out to Lena and Alex, let's just try to get down the front porch. Alex and Lena walked into the parlor. Alex grabbed for the front doorknob and quickly pulled his hand back and began to yell. Alex, what's wrong? I asked. Alex raised his hand. Skin was hanging from his hand as blood ran down his arm. The smell of burnt flesh filled the room. Lena screamed as I just stared at his hand, not knowing what to do. My hand! My, my hand! Alex yelled. 
I quickly took my jacket off and wrapped Alex's hand up as tight as I could to try to stop the bleeding. We need to get out of here now, said Lena. I ran back into the kitchen and started banging on the walls. I could hear Alex kicking the front door in an attempt to break it down. The door won't break! I let out a frustrated yell. I went back into the parlor. I noticed another room to the right of us. I picked up Alex's backpack. Maybe there's a window in here we can get out of. We walked into the next room to find an old, broken table, but no windows. I shined the light around the room. There was more writing on the walls along with drawings. I didn't even want to read them, I just wanted to find a way out. I searched for a window, door, or a slight break in the wood. There was nothing. Darkness has followed me and will remain with me. In this house you are not alone, Alex read to us. Alex, stop reading that crap, yelled Lena. I pulled out my phone and dialed my mom. I was hopeful that she would answer and get us out of here. The first ring, the second ring. Hello? She picked up. Mom, Alex, Lena and I are at the old Hans house. It's like we are... I pulled the phone away from my ear in a rush. All I heard were blood-curdling screams and static on the other end. The kind of screams that make your skin crawl when you hear them in a horror movie. Darcy? asked Alex. My face had went cold. My heart was beating faster than a drum. I tried to redial the number, but all I got were a few seconds of the dialing screen, then my phone would go black and restart to a distorted screen. I darted out of the room to the grand staircase where I began to run up it. Alex and Lena followed me. We got to the top of the stairs where we faced a long hallway with six doors on each side. Every door was open except for the last door on the left. The floor was covered in dry, rotted newspapers and torn clothing. Lena ran to the first two open doors and looked in each room. Come here, look at this! We walked over to the first room on the left and looked inside with Lena. Inside the room was an old surgery table with oil lamps sitting on a table. Alex walked into the room over to the table. He held up a rusted scalpel. What the hell happened in here? As Lena and I were about to enter the room, we heard a yell from behind us. I turned to look in a hurry. Lena looked back before me. Darcy, the room, the walls! I turned back to look into the room, but all I saw was a wall with no doors. I turned to the other side of the hallway to see more walls with no doors. There were ten doors, Lena, ten! I didn't know if I was more scared at the fact that there were no rooms or the fact that Alex was nowhere to be found. I ran to the end of the hallway and back to the stairs. Lena and I ran back downstairs. We started to yell for Alex with no reply. I sat down on the floor and burrowed my head deep into my lap. What the hell is happening? I yelled out. I felt tears stream down my cheeks. I looked up at Lena. She was staring at the stairs. I turned back to put my head back in my lap when I saw a figure crawling on the floor towards me. I closed my eyes, thinking my mind was playing tricks on me. A cold finger touched my skin as I closed my eyes tighter. The finger drug across my skin and gripped my arm. Against my better judgment, I slowly raised my head to look at the figure. Skin hung off of the face, exposing flesh and bone. Lena! I screamed out the figure disappeared. I looked behind me at Lena, but she was gone as well. 
I got up and began running up the stairs when I heard a crash at the bottom of the stairs. I slowly turned around to see a contorted body with long, curly, blonde hair. I screamed out to Lena, hoping I wasn't seeing what I thought I was. I ran down the stairs to Lena and began to shake her violently. Lena, please, no! Tears began. I put down my face once more. What the hell do you want? I yelled out. What do you want? I grabbed Lena's hand and cried out for this all to just end. Sweat began to roll down off my forehead as I left the room getting hotter. It was the middle of September and the house had no electricity, so how could this be possible? I heard crackling from the kitchen. I turned to look and saw the orange and red flames of fire. The wood from the ceiling began to fall to the floor. I dropped Lena's hand and ran upstairs, not knowing where else to go. Upon arriving at the top of the stairs, I saw a figure enter a room. How was there a room when before there were ten and then none? I didn't give it much thought. I ran into the room after the figure, hoping it would be Alex. When I entered the room, I saw an antique oval standing mirror. In the mirror, there was a woman. She was smiling at me with a sweet smile. For the first time since being in the Hans house, I felt a sense of comfort. I walked closer to the mirror, slowly until I was right in front of it. The woman's smile went from inviting and comforting to a disfigured grin. She leaned her head back and made an ear-piercing scream like the one I'd heard on the phone with my mom. I was so frustrated and upset, the next thing I knew I had kicked the mirror and broken it. The mirror shattered and hit the floor. I picked up a piece of the mirror and stared at myself in the shard of glass. This isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real, I said it to myself over and over again. I jumped at the sound of a door, slamming repeatedly. I stood up and ran down the stairs. Lena's body was still lying on the floor, contorted and mangled. I ran past her to find the kitchen door banging open and shut. The fire was out. The smell of burnt wood filled the air. You could see the soot and ash remaining from the fire. Tears of joy ran down my cheeks as I raced to the door. I pushed the door open and ran into the backyard. I grabbed at the lanyard around my neck, holding my keys, and jerked at it until it was off my neck. I ran around the side of the house to my car. Did you find the door? Alex called out to me. I stopped right where I stood. I couldn't say a single word. Darcy, are you okay? asked Lena. Alex and Lena walked over to me, confused. I took a step back from them. Don't come near me, I yelled at them. Darcy, calm down. What's wrong with you? I looked at Alex's hand. There was no burns, flesh, hanging skin. It was fine, just like it was before he touched the doorknob. I looked back at the house, then back at Alex and Lena. They were looking at each other. Okay, so now that you've had your little freak out, can we get this party started? Asked Alex. You know what? Let's just go. This place looks dangerous and anything could happen while we're inside. Lena let out a breath and said, Sounds good to me. This place creeps the hell out of me. We got back in the car and I threw the car in reverse. I felt at ease the minute I pulled out of the driveway. I hadn't said a single word until we were almost back to Alex's house. I looked in the rearview mirror at Alex and I smiled. In the corner of my eye, I saw the woman sitting next to Alex. The same woman I saw in the mirror. Alex, who's sitting beside you? 
I felt my voice crack as I asked him. I looked over to the passenger seat to Lena, but all I saw was an empty leather seat. Darkness has followed you and will remain with you. In this house, you are not alone. I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up as I heard the whisper in my ear. I looked into the rearview mirror once more and saw the woman smiling at me. I looked over at the passenger seat to see the figure that was crawling towards me. I saw the blood dripping down the half-ripped open jaw on the figure's face. Disgusting and disfigured, I blinked my eyes quickly. I saw the halfway torn down flower wallpaper and the wooden floors that were missing pieces of wood. Come on, Lena, before the ghost of the haunt… I cut Alex off. Alex, let's leave now and never bring this back up again. We don't belong here. We aren't welcome. I believe every story I've heard. Alex, Lena, and I closed the door back and walked back to the car. The Han house had played so many tricks on me, it was hard to believe what was real and what was not. I didn't dare look in my rearview mirror. I don't think I could have relived the horror I had just faced. Alex and Lena talked on the ride back to his house, but I remained silent. I was still trying to process every emotion I just experienced. What I saw, what I felt, what I heard, it was enough to make me a believer. 36 days later, Lena and I graduated high school. I went to North Carolina, Lena went to Pennsylvania, Alex stayed in Georgia, and months later went to investigate the Han house by himself. I will never forget the words he told me afterwards. Darkness has followed me and will remain with me. If you like what you hear and you want to hear even more, consider becoming a patron. I post commercial-free versions of Weird Darkness and bonus materials as well including chapters of horror and paranormal books I'm narrating into audiobooks as I record them. Become a patron by clicking the link in the show notes or visit WeirdDarkness.com and click on Become a Patron. And a huge welcome to my newest patron, Debbie McIntosh. Welcome to the Weirdo family, Debbie, and thank you so much for supporting what I do. I appreciate it. If you like the show, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps the show to be seen by others, and I might read your review here in the podcast. Do Not Look posted, I absolutely love this podcast. I love that there are so many episodes that help me get through my work. Thank you so much for making my work more tolerable. Weirdo Now 31 said, This is the only podcast I listen to. It gets me through my day. Jesse Baby 320 says, I look forward to listening to this podcast every morning. Your voice and stories are creepy and fantastic. It's hard to find a weirdo podcast that catches my ear, but you've done it. Keep up the good work. Stay weird, my friend. Thanks to all of you who've posted reviews. I really appreciate that, and I look forward to reading more. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Share your story at WeirdDarkness.com, and I might use it in a future episode. The true stories, Lunch in a Different Dimension, were written by Jason Offutt, and the original fictional story, The Han House, was written by Kayla Moore. Music provided by Midnight Syndicate and Shadows Symphony. You can find links to both in the show notes. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and more. I have links to all of my social media at the top of the page at WeirdDarkness.com. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness.
This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow. Weirdo family member Kitty sent me an email saying, My husband works out of state the majority of the time, and when he left, he wanted to take his MyPillow with him. That's how much he loves his. Right now, you can get two premium MyPillows for one low price. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD or call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192 or MyPillow.com. Promo code WEIRD.